that's you know when Chris isn't here just doesn't like I said you got the no that was really great thank you welcome I greet you in the name of my Savior you gotta hold it up oh sorry yeah yeah thank you thank you remind me you don't have to I'm gonna poke laugh. you every time yeah um I'm glad you're here Hooray. nice to be yes it's nice yes, to be here yeah so I was um, on the couch this time last week and said, I'll try to get up and go to church. And they go, you look bad. Yeah, she did. Stay put. You look, you're sick. She got up Tuesday morning and was 100%. Yeah. But she was sick the last three days before. Um, I'm just thinking about those songs uh, that Justin let us in. That's there, that was a good word. I'll, just, I'll leave it at that for today. Um, real quickly, I've got an announcement. I don't want Tommy getting mad at me. Um, this is the same announcement from last week. This Saturday, this coming Saturday, June the 3rd, the Christ Community Church Children's Summer Kickoff will begin from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Greenfield Arena, and that's in Midtown, There'll be games and activities and all kind of fun things for the kids. So parents, I encourage you, if you have a child in uh, Morgan and Hannah's uh, world, uh, go and participate in this from 1 to 3 next Saturday. It's in Midtown. And if you want to know more information, go find Morgan and Hannah back in the where, the, where their classes are, and they can tell you all about it. And I'm sure they'll send some emails. Yeah, that. you'll get emails. and. Regular old laugh, Mike. Good old-fashioned laugh, Mike. See how that works. Testing one, two. Testing one, two, three. And testing one, two, three. Testing. Uh-uh. Testing one, two, three. I'll get it up. Okay. We're good. <laughs> um, there you go. Here we go. All right. We are in the middle of a multi-week study, um, looking at. Two verses of scripture, one verse in particular, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. That's the the main verse. And uh, we're looking at it because of its significance and its uniqueness. It is the very first time that God describes himself to humanity. Very first time in the Bible he describes himself. And he reveals some of the qualities that reflect who he is. And these five qualities in particular were so significant, so important to the Bible authors, the rest of the Bible authors after Moses, that they quoted these five phrases, words, terms, qualities, more times in the rest of the Bible than any other verses in the Bible. It's the most repeated two verses in the entire Bible. And so it just communicates how the Bible authors saw these qualities and their passion for us to get that this is, when you think of God, when you look at God, when you behold God, these are the qualities that you're going to first and foremost witness, these are the qualities that are going to drive how he relates to us, and actually, the way this is written, all of the other qualities 
that God possesses flow out of these five. These are the foundational core qualities of who God is. I've said it every week, and I've got to say it again. It's very important that we recognize that God shared these five qualities, these five attributes that reveal who He is, with His people at a very dark time. You would think it would be when they did something great. That's when God would share these five. But it was at a, at a moment in their journey with Yahweh where they had just denied Yahweh, betrayed Yahweh, rejected Yahweh, uh, rebelled against Yahweh. And in that moment of pain, in that moment of, of, of hurt, in the heart of God, what flowed out was this statement. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God of compassion, a God of grace, slow to anger and abounding in covenant love and faithfulness. So it's very important that we see when God said this, at our worst, not at our best. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first quality or attribute, compassion. Very unique word. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's the Hebrew word for a mother's womb. And uh, the, the idea that is communicated from a Hebrew mindset, uh, when it uses this word womb, God is trying to show us that when He thinks of us, He thinks it's an emotional word. He feels about you. He feels about me like a mom feels about a newborn baby. That's how, when, when we're at our worst, how does God feel about me? When I have had the worst week of my life, I've yelled at Cheryl Lee, I've treated my daughter terribly, I've, I've, I've been a jerk and a rear end all week. How does God feel about me? He feels about me like a lady feels about her newborn baby. Second word that we looked at was the word graciousness. And we're moving up now. We're moving from a lady's womb to our eyes. It's a word, the word graciousness or grace. It, it carries the idea of a view, how you view something. And it's the choice to see or view something with value, with beauty, with significance. The idea being that God wants us to know that when He sees us, what He sees is a person of value, a person of potential, a person of beauty. And if you want to know more about those things, go to our website, pull up those last two lessons, and you can listen to them. They're good. You'll like them. Um, Today we're going to look at a third quality that God wants us to know about Himself and that is His declaration that I am slow to anger. Um, just for what it's worth, it was a big deal to all these Bible scholars that I studied all week long. This, isn't, this word or this phrase, slow to anger, is not so much a quality as it is a response. 
God is compassionate. God is gracious regardless. That's what flows out of Him. But He is slow to anger. And that carries with it this idea that when He witnesses things that impact Him with anger, He is slow to respond. He is slow to react. Um, let, me, let me ask you a question, friend. Okay. It's just an opinion. Um, speaking about Americans, you think more Americans, when they think of God, if they believe in a God, do they lean toward God being angry or loving? When they, when they, when they, when they have the image of God, is it more a, a, an angry king or Santa Claus? Um, or granddaddy kind of Yeah, idea. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I have been thinking about this question, and I think, I'll answer it, <laughs> but I think that our response to that question question is how our own, based often based on our own circumstances. So if things are going well for me, I view God as benevolent and loving and, oh, okay. and good. And see you see what I'm saying? Now things are going well for me. Yeah. But if things are going badly for me or things are fall, falling apart just a little bit, or I really want something to happen that doesn't happen, then maybe I would view God in a different light based uh, at, with some anger or with some dissatisfaction or some sort of tyrant or whatever, based on my own circumstances. So your experience is going to, your, your, your present circumstances are going to determine whether you view him as nice and sweet and kind and loving yes. or mean. Yes, but those circumstances and our reaction to them often is very fickle. Okay. You know, one minute I'm happy and the next minute I'm completely in despair. And that, there's a pre, it's pretty fickle. So having said that, I think most people, I think most people view God as loving and okay. kind. Well, according to polls and surveys, you're right. Most people in America would lean toward a view of God. If there is a God, he would have to be a person that is loving, nice, kind, compassionate. But when asked why you think that, they have no basis other than it just should be that way. He should be loving. He should be nice. He should be kind. Therefore, I believe he is. But they have no basis for that other than just their hope or their desire. I find that interesting. Yeah. All right, English teaching lady. Um, figures of speech. I'm going to give you a little quiz. Okay. Okay? okay. When I use the phrase or you hear the phrase, break a leg... What, what does that communicate? So it's a theatrical uh, call to a, an actor to, to actually do the opposite of what it says. Okay. That's kind of funny, right? So don't break a leg. Do well on stage. Okay. I hope you don't break a leg. Okay. Uh, so it's a good luck thing. Okay. So it would be to wish... Am I, am I on, Justin? Okay. Um, it's, it's a, it's, to break a leg... In the theater world, would be to wish somebody good luck. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because you're Bless not supposed you. to say luck and stuff in the theater. Yeah, you know? that is actually to say luck is bad it's luck. Bad right? luck. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, how about uh, a long? I've, whew, I've had a long day. 
What does that mean? Pooped. You've had a, a, the day has felt longer than the 12 hours or whatever you have in it. Okay. And, uh, or it's been a hard day or it's been an exhausting day. But in reality, days aren't longer or shorter. Mm -hmm. They're 24 hours, every one of them. But we say, ooh, I've had a long day, communicating that it's been a hard, difficult, demanding day. Yeah, it felt longer than the norm. Okay. You're walking on thin ice. You better watch out, boy. I don't walk on thin ice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah like, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah, if you could fall through. This is, be careful. Dangerous. Danger, danger, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, he's got, John Rimmers has got heart. What Aww, am I saying? He's a nice guy. Yeah, well, nice guy. What else could it mean to have Sturdy, heart? Sturdy, strong, like, like dependable. Okay. Uh, uh, forthright. Okay. You can call on him in time of need. Okay. All right. Good heart. Good. Uh, you're, she's pushing his buttons. Annoying him. Okay. Like, like, right. like poking something. Nancy that... is pushing Chuck's buttons. Of course she does. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Tim is bugging Esther. Never. Um, you know, annoying, like, okay. you know, like the, doing that one thing that everybody, that she knows he that he knows she hates okay. and doing it anyway on purpose okay. All right. just to be funny okay. or whatever. Last week, Ashley was under the weather. She didn't feel good. She didn't feel good. But it's funny, okay. right? Because it has nothing to do with weather. Yeah, yeah. No, well, actually, all of these. None of them do. Bug yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not a bug. You're not an insect. Yeah, yeah. All these, yeah. yeah. And I'm going somewhere with this. Um, knock, on, knock on wood. Yeah, it's like a good luck thing. I don't want that to happen. So to ward off. Ward off. Bad thing. Oh, I'd be interested to know where that came from. Yeah, me too. Ward off the, the spirits or the bad stuff or whatever. Another one, although it doesn't have words to it, is when people go. That's you ever a seen Jewish people do? You know, yeah. It's yeah. to like shoo off the evil, the evil spirit. spirits on the yeah. left, right? So yeah. shoo off the, okay. the bad luck. All right. The juju, the bad juju. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last one. Okay. Um, Aunt Linda is nosy. <laughs> what is that? What am I saying? Aunt Linda. <laughs> um, she um, pokes around in, in places that no, are none of her business. Okay. But not Aunt Linda. Okay. Would never do okay. that. Okay. No, not Aunt Linda. Of course not. Okay. All right. But, but again, it really doesn't have anything to do. None of it has these, nothing to do with another. None of these phrases, the words don't reflect the meaning. They've just over time become a part of our language. Our culture, but they act, if somebody a thousand years from now or if somebody from another culture found these phrases, they go, what do those phrases have to do with the meaning, right? Um, so, I'm going to talk about, actually we're going to talk about nosy, but okay. in Hebrew, nosy communicates something totally different than butting your nose into somebody else's business. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the way that in Hebrew, you would say slow to anger is that you are long of nose or you have a long nose. If I said, if I said Terry has a long nose, what I'm saying by that phrase is that you are patient, long-suffering, which... Boy, isn't that an ironic person? Anyway, uh, you're long-suffering, you're patient, you're slow to anger. It's long of nose or 
Uh, yeah, yeah. You, it's, it was such a common phrase in the Hebrew language that if you just mention the word nose, you immediately associated it, unless you added the word long, you associated it with anger. To be nosy was meant you were angry. You were an ang- or a short-tempered person. Slow to anger, patient, long-suffering. They all would be communicated with the phrase long of nose. To say that a person is angry, you would say their nose burns hot. I like that. And it would be, obviously that one makes a little sense because to say your nose burns hot, what you're saying is you, the way you look, your, your countenance, your expression, you look angry. That's what they were trying to say. Uh, we have similar phrases. You're red-faced. You're hot under the collar. Um, but in Hebrew, the, the idea is you if you use the word, and we would say that, oh man, that, that customer walked in the store and he was hot. Mm-hmm. We're, we would understand, oh, he's mad, right? So we, we do the same thing in English in some ways. But um, in English, uh, uh, the, word, uh, the word, the idea of anger or temper or wrath, just so you know, because sometimes people will come ask me things like, now what's the difference in anger and wrath in the Bible? Not a, one blessed difference. One's not worse, uh, less or more in the Bible. Wrath and anger, same, same. They just use different words to translate the same idea so they don't repeat the same word over and over and over again. Yeah, so anyway, um, the, uh, the two main Hebrew words for anger are heat and nose. So to say hot-nosed means you are angry or you're hot-tempered, okay? Um, give you some examples. It, this is a very common phrase, runs through the Bible. Um, uh, uh, when Mrs. Potiphar told Mr. Potiphar that Joseph had uh, come on to her, um, it says that Potiphar was long in nose. He was angry. Uh, when Moses, I don't know at which time, I forgot uh, at what number, but at some point when Moses kept coming into the throne room of Pharaoh with the next plague, it says that Pharaoh became long of nose at Moses. Um, another one, oh, oh, when Israel kept whining and complaining and all that, it, finally the Bible says that Moses became long of nose. I mean, I mean, uh, hot of nose. I'm so sorry, hot of nose. He became, he didn't become long of nose. He became hot in his nose. He was fierce, and that's when he hit the rock with the, with the, uh, staff. the staff. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, David, when he was, came to give his brothers some food, when the brothers were in the war against the Philistines, and David's, uh, David was asking about Goliath, uh, what, what kind of reward do you get for killing Goliath and all that? The Bible says that David's older brother became hot in his nose toward David. Go back home and take care of those few little sheep that you're responsible for. Okay? We've got hot-headed. That's kind yeah, of the Yes, oh thing. no, it's exactly the same mm-hmm. idea, yes. Uh, in Proverbs 19, it says this. In your Bibles, it says, a person's wisdom makes him slow to anger. But what it really says in Hebrew is, a wise person has a long nose. Isn't that nice? I like like that imagery. 
Um, just so that you understand that in Hebrew language, the nose or your temperature has to do with anger. And if you've got, if you're, if you're, if it takes a long time for your nose to become angry, that means you're patient. You're long suffering. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, truth be told, the Bible says many times, not a dozen, not two dozen, not three dozen, <laughs> way more. I didn't count them, but. I would say well over a hundred times for sure, if not two hundred. The Bible says that Yahweh's nose burned hot. And we don't like that idea, do we? That's a difficult um, idea. In fact, I would say that there are probably realistic in the in the you know just being transparent. In my dealings with people, you know, people will ask these questions. Where did Cain get his wife? Or did Adam have a belly button? Or, you know, the, how, you know, the days of creation or the flood. But at the end of the day, people don't care about those things. They just ask them because they, want to, they just want to get into an argument. But they don't, nobody stays up at night wondering or worrying about where Cain got his wife. No. But I would suggest to all of us that there are few issues in the Bible that genuinely and deeply bother them more, bother people more, than this idea that God is angry. We don't like that. That, that goes against, well, Americans think at the end of the day, God is nice and happy and kind. He's this benevolent grandfather type figure and he doesn't get mad. And yet the Bible, way over a hundred times, if not double that, it says that God's nose burned hot. It's a huge problem, especially the younger the generation is, the bigger a problem that is. And it's because, and I think it has to do to some degree with our experiences, if you grew up in a home where there was a lot of anger, um, we recoil to think that God would possess that quality. And maybe the opposite's also true. If you grew up in a home where there was never any anger, maybe we recoil at the idea that God could get angry. I'm not sure. But we associate anger often with not getting your way, being capricious, rash, expressing your anger in inappropriate ways, losing control, or abuse. Many of us grew up in homes where anger led to uh, different uh, forms of abuse. Um, it, you know, when I think of anger, uh, I think of uh, the movie Tombstone and Wyatt Earp getting mad. You don't want him getting mad. That's, that's no good. Um, uh, you know, we think of uh, uh, Jack Reacher, John Wick, John McClane, uh, Rooster Cogburn. You know, we think of these people that when they get mad, it is a bad deal for everybody around us. Because those people, when they got mad, uh, it didn't go well for anybody. Um, we don't like the idea that God would get really angry, that he would become 
genuinely hot in his nose. And that really goes back to the, the reality, the fact that we as a society have been influenced much more by the Greek culture than we have by the Bible culture. Um, in the Greek culture, they had... Anger was, a, was an emotion that, that, that they acknowledged, but it was a lower emotion. If you looked at their gods, they had a hierarchy of gods, and the lower on the chain uh, the god was, the more often they got angry. The higher up on the food chain the god went, the less he got angry, to the point that their greatest gods never got angry. Anger was a was a, a, a base, carnal, B-team type emotion. Emotions were bad. Intellect was good. Whereas in a Hebrew mindset, anger is, is really not portrayed in a negative light very often. Uncontrolled anger was, but not anger. Anger was rarely, if ever, portrayed in a negative light. It was just an emotion that loving, healthy people possessed. And I would appeal to us as we look at this a little more this morning, we need to be very careful about projecting onto the Bible and onto God our view of anger. What we think about anger, whether or our, how we feel, whether it's appropriate, inappropriate, whether it's good or bad, whether it's a, a, a good emotion or a bad emotion. We can have our opinions and our views, but at the end of the day, we need to be very careful about projecting that. The Bible, as I've said to y'all many, many times, the Bible does not present to us the God we want. He present, the Bible presents to us the God that is. God is a loving, healthy person. And what the Old Testament would portray or declare is that anger is an emotion that we feel when someone we love is harmed or they harm someone else. If my child who I love harms someone, that makes me angry. If someone harms my child that I love, that makes me angry. We understand that. Or if my child harms herself, that makes me angry. Now I can pretend it doesn't, but at the end of the day, according to the Old Testament, anger is just one emotion that I experience when I witness someone I love being harmed or harming another or harming themselves. Uh, God, because He is loving and healthy, when He sees me or He sees you harming another, harming ourselves, or being harmed, that makes God angry. That's what the Old Testament would present to us. Um, he gets angry when those he loves are harmed 
whether they're harming themselves or others. God is impacted emotionally by evil. But never once would the Bible present or even suggest that God's anger was ever rash, inappropriate, capricious, selfish, or abusive. Yes, ma'am. To that point, um, it's interesting. I'm sitting here thinking that we don't want, or I should just speak for myself, I don't want God to be angry or act in an angry way, even if it's just towards, well, of course it's just, towards me. I don't like that. I want mercy and grace when it has to do with me. Uh, but when I see something somewhere else happening, we're quick, aren't we, to say, well, now, why, is God let, let, why does God let that happen? I'm angry with him because he lets that happen. So there's, there's a capriciousness in the way we, we see that. I yes. Think, you know? Yes. Um, but God is never capricious. Right. It's nev he's never inconsistent. He's never random. He's never rash. He's, he, he gets angry and he express, expresses anger, but it's always in a consistent, dependable, predictable way. Um, the Bible says that God is slow to anger. And what that really communicates is that God gives people lots of warnings and lots of chances before he gets angry. Let me give you two examples. Exodus 15. Bible says, Lord, you sent forth your wrath against Egypt and consumed them like stubble. He got angry with Egypt. But it was after 11 warnings and 11 chances. He didn't just, well, they're ticking me off. Lightning bolt. No. It was, he literally sent someone personally to beg them to stop this evil, wrong, destructive behavior. And he sent it, this person 11 times to warn them and gave them 11 chances before his anger was expressed toward Egypt. Second Chronicles 24, the prophet says, God sent numerous, or actually the word is multiple, multiple prophets to warn his people and lead them back to himself, but they paid no attention. What happened? They were taken into Babylonian captivity. But it was after multiple prophets were sent by God to warn multiple opportunities, multiple chances to stop this harmful behavior to themselves and to one another. The Bible, this was one of the most interesting things that I learned in this study for y'all and for myself, and that is that there are exceptions to what I'm about to say. But I would be so bold as to say over 90% of the time, when the Bible tells us that God got angry and punished, over 90% of the time, almost always, there are a few uh, exceptions, I yield, but almost always, what it says is 
God got angry. He got hot of nose. And he turned the people over to their own desires. He gave them over to what they wanted most. Perfect example is, if you read the book, those of you that are reading through the Bible with me, we read through the book of Judges. Over and dang near every chapter. Not every chapter, but dang near. What it says is, the people of God rejected the Lord, turned away, and sought the gods of the people that lived around them. And at some point the Bible would say, God got angry. And when God got angry, He turned them over to the people who worshipped those gods. He gave, you want, you want to be like these people? You want to worship their gods? He gave, God did nothing but give them what the people wanted themselves. I find that very interesting. Uh, the same with the Babylonian captivity. What it says, the Babylonian captivity, we see it as God got mad at Israel's continual idolatry and finally he had enough and he said, Babylon, you come and destroy Israel. That's what most of us that have read the Bible several times, that's the conclusion we draw. That is not what the Bible says. What the Bible says over and over and over again you have continually sought the gods of Babylon. You've continually sought to make treaties with the people of Babylon. You want that? You don't want me? You don't want a relationship with me? You don't want to love me and trust me and go through life with me? I will, get, I will turn you over to what you have wanted all along. Romans chapter 1, Paul says... God's wrath is displayed against humanity by handing them over to their own destructive desires and actions. That's a powerful statement. Listen to it one more time. That's worth hearing twice. God's wrath is displayed by handing people over to their own destructive desires and actions. He follows up in Romans 2 by saying, you are storing up wrath for yourself. You're storing it up. I'm not storing it up. You're storing up wrath for yourself by rejecting God's forbearance, His patience, and His kindness. I wanted us to realize today that, well, I say, I, I don't want anything. It's important that we be reminded that when God reveals to us for the first time who He is, He starts off by telling us, when I think of you, when I, what I feel for you is what a mother feels for her child. When I see you, when I view you, I see something of value, something of beauty, something of potential. But because I love you, and I love the people around you, when y'all harm each other and wrong each other, and when you harm and wrong yourselves, 
It makes me mad. Well, just like that makes me mad. Um, it makes me angry. Just like every mother or father in this room. This is not new information. This is not a new experience that you've never known before. Of course, when we witness our child harming themselves or harming another or being harmed, it fills us with an, an emotion that the Bible would describe as anger. I do think it's very important to remember though that at the end of the day, God's anger always yields to His grace, His mercy, and His compassion. Romans 3 says that God, I'm sorry, God's wrath and the payment for our sin were poured out on God's Son. God's wrath and the payment for our sin were poured out on God's Son. In Romans 5, Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And in James 2, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus says this, mercy always triumphs over judgment. Um, any thoughts? Anything you want to add to that, friend? I know that's heavy. No, I don't think so. I, an example of that, I guess, is my own grandmother. Um, a, an example of God giving over. It, it, in the Bible, it's often very dramatic. Like a country will overtake another country mm -hmm. or... You know, the hordes will come in and enslave everybody, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, which still happens, of course. But, but in my grandmother's life, she just, it was something like she started smoking when she was 13 years old or something like that. And my then, dad did too. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then when, um, you know, when she got lung cancer, somewhere in her 40s, uh, she started praying that God would heal her of lung cancer. It's a reasonable thing. Sure. It's a reasonable thing. Um, and, and that's not how it went. She smoked for 40 years or, or whatever, and she died of lung cancer. Um, but she and her sisters were very bitter and angry at God for not intervening with a miracle mm -hmm. and, um, you know, healing her of that, of that lung cancer. And I... And that's, that's the story. But it's just so very human for us, I think, to be glad of the anger of God when it's... Against our enemies. Against our enemies. Yeah. We're glad to see that. And it, it makes sense. It's, it's logical. Mm -hmm. But this, if you just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, and I'm going to let this consequence come part... Um, we want to be above that. Yes. We want to be exempt. Yeah. We do. Yeah. I just found that very interesting. I, I did not know that. I, I, I studied it and learned it. Um, that almost always when the Bible talks about God displaying, not being angry, but displaying His anger, it almost always includes the phrase, he gave people 
what they wanted. He turned them over to their own evil desires. That's very different than this idea of this huge, mighty king type dude up on a throne that's throwing lightning bolts down. That's not, the, that's not what the Bible would teach. In fact, the Bible never suggests that anger is wrong. It's actually, according to the biblical perspective, it is a healthy emotion that is possessed by a loving person. The Bible does have much to say about the motives. Why am I angry? As the thing that's making me angry, is it worthy of my anger? Should I allow that to make me angry? Um, James talks about that. James also tells us that we should be slow to anger, just like God is slow to anger. The Bible says that we should end our anger quickly. We should not let it go on. And the Bible would also suggest in Ephesians 4 that we should restore. If I'm angry, if I'm angry at Tim, I need to get it back good with you quickly. I need to check my motive for why I'm angry. I need to be slow before I get angry. I need to end my anger fat quickly and I need to restore the broken relationship quickly. That's what the Bible would say in regards to anger. Um, Shirley and I grew up in two very different families. Um, wonderful families, but very different families. In my family, anger was a very present and powerful force. In your fam family, anger was rare. Very rare. Was that fair? Mm -hmm. that, yeah, yeah. I want to say something and I'm... You'll have I to... thought I married into a tornado. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, you did. Or, or, well, that would be a kind way of saying it. Tornadoes are, you know. Um, yes, you did. Um, but I will say this. And I want you to go home and think about it. Anger can cause a lot of da uh, damage. Anger can cause a lot of damage. But also, the lack of anger can cause a lot of damage. Many a child has been damaged because their parents didn't know how to control their anger. But many a child has been damaged because one parent wouldn't do anything. They stood by and did nothing while the other parent damaged that child terribly. Anger has a purpose. It reveals what's important to us. And it gives us motivation and power to step in when that need is valid and reasonable and appropriate. And I'll just go one step further and we'll end on this. Historically, I'm talking about for 2,000 years, we've had our bad moments. But Christians, for 2,000 years, the biggest problem with the New Testament church for the last 2,000 years has not been our anger. Have there been moments when Christians in history have let their anger drive them to do very wrong things? Absolutely. But that is not our big sin. 
The sin of Christianity is not our anger. The sin of Christianity is our indifference. We have sat by and witnessed poverty and discrimination and injustice and uh, abuse and wrong against others. And as long as it wasn't me and mine, boy, that's sad. Isn't that terrible? Oh, somebody ought to do something about that. The sin of Christianity historically has not been our anger over the wrongs of the world. It has been our indifference. We need to think about that. And that goes for our homes, our marriages, our dealing with our children. When we just sit by and peace like a river, kumbaya, let's meditate and, you know, and do yoga and him sing a little uh, chant uh, and do nothing, that's, a, that's, that's, that's not honoring to the Lord. That's not honoring to the Lord. And sometimes when we witness and we get filled, that's God's way of saying, do something. Do something. Don't sit there and accept that and witness that. Okay. Bible Any? says to be slow to speak, but it does not say don't speak. That's exactly right. That's that, thank you. That's yeah. Nobody wants some knucklehead starting with me roaring in too soon. But after thought and counsel and prayer and consideration and research, we need to we need to say what's right and what's and stand up for what's right. And if anger helps us do that. And whether that's sitting with our children, I remember your daddy, greatest dad I ever met. But he used to tell me, you know, these parent experts come into church and do these conferences and they say, oh, never deal with your children in anger. He says, I do my best whipping when I'm angry. And, that, and that's, that's, that, that, was, that was the truth. He said, if I wait till I calm down, I don't do anything. Take it for what it's worth. But if our anger drives us to do what's right, then God bless our anger. And just because our culture, our society, has put anger over in this unacceptable category, that doesn't change what the Bible says about it. Anything else, friend? I'll get some text <laughs> this afternoon about that, won't I? But that's all right. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us all. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Oh, oh, before I do, just before I forget it. Next Sunday, June the 4th, uh, some of you will be out of town. And if you are, have a good trip. But if you are in Memphis, it would really mean a lot to me if you would come and be with me next Sunday. Uh, I'm going to talk to you all about some uh, personal things uh, in my life and some things related to the life of our church. And I'd love to, uh, we're going we're gonna to study God's Word, but at the end I'm going to reserve a few minutes and have a little, just a little chat with y'all. And so if you can come and be with us next Sunday, I sure would, it would mean a lot to me if you would do that. Okay? Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And uh, we're going to, um, oh, I guess I need to get some folks. Um, 
Karun, Annie, would you come up and help me? And uh, Austin, Austin, <laughs> August, Lord have mercy. Brandon, y'all come over here on that side. I was looking at Austin over here and I looked over. Um, every week, we set aside just a moment to offer bread and wine or juice uh, to the people of God just as a way of giving us a chance to stop just for a moment and be reminded that we belong to a God who gets angry. I would be doing you a disservice. I would be deceiving you to communicate otherwise. But He is a God while at moments when He witnesses our evil and destruction and selfishness and hate and unforgiveness which makes Him angry, at the end of the day, that same God sent His Son to offer His body and blood as a sacrifice for our sins. And that, at the end of the day, is what we remember and give thanks for. We yield to God's anger. We yield to God's wisdom. We yield to God's power. But we rejoice in His grace. What kind of a God, what kind of a person would offer His Son as a sacrifice so that He could have a relationship with us? A bunch of knotheads. Who would do that? Yahweh would, the God of the Bible. And so we eat that which represents His body and we drink that which represents His blood just to celebrate and give thanks for such an unspeakable gift. If you would like to come and eat and drink, we have covered uh, wine and bread if you'd like that. And we also have just cups and then you can take some of this bread if you will. So you come as you will.